0: He's going to talk about Pentecost. So I guess we're doing dinner at uh, DQ tomorrow in Milford, huh? So see you there. <laughs> no. Yeah, you don't have to say anything. So y- there was a secret meeting going on. You don't have to say anything. Everything they take at, that, at DQ, they are going to donate 10% towards uh, our Dominican Republic missions course. So that's great. Thanks, DQ, in advance. Well, I am uh, excited to uh, preach today on Pentecost. It's uh, it's really one of my uh, favorite uh, Sundays to preach on, uh, and because you know the Holy Spirit is really important to us as a church, and it just seems to me, from my perspective of Christianity, uh, that people talk about God uh, pretty easily. Uh, maybe they talk about God the Father. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Jesus. And then very little talk about the Holy Spirit, which uh, really uh, there's something out of balance in uh, our society as, as believers, as Christians, uh, w- with that. And so uh, if you look at the book of Acts, I mean, the whole book is just talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did this, and the Holy Spirit filled us, and the Holy Spirit empowered us, and, and when the Holy Spirit came upon us, we did this, and, and it just seems to happen again and again and again. And, uh, the, you know, every time uh, there's just like really exciting things that seem to happen. Uh, people get encouraged, people get bold, people get empowered, uh, people do supernatural things. Uh, so I, I just really enjoy uh, having an expectation and a time set aside. It's almost like using the liturgical calendar to say, once a year, at least once a year, can we focus on. The Holy Spirit, at least once a year, can we say to ourselves, "How do I get empowered uh, supernaturally with the Holy Spirit? In other words, uh, how can I have more than just an ordinary life? You know uh, How can I experience God in a way which is powerful and that 's really beyond me that, that God does things in your life and in my life which we can 't like make happen we can 't manufacture there 's something we God is alive and God is active and there should be this desire in us uh, for that. And a desire in us for, you know, in a nervous kind of a way like, God, I I really want a whole lot more, but I'm nervous because if you actually give me a whole lot more, you know, that could be scary. It could have like all sorts of fun, exciting, challenging opportunities. So uh, I just like uh, the opportunity to share, you know, God's stories. and. Let's just back up from the beginning. The word Pentecost, uh, you know, for many of you church folks, it's like, okay, I get it. I understand this. But the whole idea here is Pentecost, Penta, 50, 50 days after Easter. And th- uh, this is actually built on a Jewish festival, a festival of weeks. And so, what would happen in the, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Jewish cycle of uh, events, they would have these festivals where they would show up uh, in Jerusalem. And this particular festival was first fruits. So, you know, you've harvested your wheat, you're bringing it to the Lord, and uh, it's an offering, it's a celebration, it's a, it's a time when people get together at different nationalities, different areas, and come and, you know, thank the Lord for what God has done. And so on this particular day is also when God poured out His Holy Spirit, and the church started. So that's why it's the birthday of the church, which is why we have a birthday cake uh, and uh, why I want to talk about uh, how does the Holy Spirit uh, empower ordinary people to do the work of the Lord. And so the church started, uh, and this is the great story of, of Acts. The church started, people responded, and it's continued to grow today. Now, if you're thinking like, where is God moving really, really powerful, powerfully around the world? You would say, well, he's, he, there's some really unbelievably great things happening in Africa and the are. And uh, at the moment, God is really doing some incredibly great things in China. Uh, and uh, then there's also stories that are coming out of places where God is moving in amazing ways that we wouldn't think about, like Tibet. So Tibet is a classic, you know, Hindu uh, country. Uh, If you have images of Tibet, you think of Mount Everest, the the mountain climbers and the little flags that that fly and, you know, for, uh, you know, Hindu religion. Well, just from a national survey standpoint, in Tibet, in 1950, there were no... People recorded as Christians in the census. Uh, in 1960, they had like 500. In in 19 like 90, they had like uh, you know I don't know uh, 20,000. Uh, and now all of a sudden, there's 2.3 million. I mean that's like, I mean this is like new. This is you recently, and that exact testimony is what we're finding out with. Uh, there's a vineyard church in Kathmandu. You know, the reports he's giving, it's just like explosive church growth at the same time that it's illegal. Okay, if you really receive Christ, uh, people say, we want to get baptized. But the problem is they can't make an announcement about baptism because if the government finds out, they put them all in jail. So it's like, okay, it's a secret thing. And you've got to really be desirous of being baptized because, you know, right from the get-go, you get baptized it's either God or jail. I mean, it's like, hope this works out well. You know, I mean, the last time I checked in with him, his church was like 500 people in Kathmandu and just exploding. And then he said, you know what, you can take a walk and we'll walk for like seven days and we'll get to the little village out there and we spread the gospel. And he said, when we do, the whole village comes to to know Christ. And so if you want to do a mission strip, don't think of it in terms of like you know what am I going to do in my american five day vacation It's like what are you going to do in six weeks when you hike through the Himalayas you know going from village to that's more like what a mission trip looks like in that in that context so God is doing stuff and uh of course our area, New England or America we're in what we would see as a receding uh, Christianity or if you look at Europe uh, you would see you would See Europe as being a, an area where Christianity is sort of losing favor, uh, and yet at the same time, uh, I feel very passionate about New England. New England, I, I am glad that we're here. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad God is moving here, even if this is a culture which is uh, perhaps rejecting Christ or not as excited about Christ as maybe other parts of America or other parts of the world, and. It just so happens that I think God has well-positioned us to do work in Europe because uh, there's something about our mindset here in New England uh, that says, okay, we understand what it's like to deal with a lot of work and very little results. And where most people just give up uh, because it's such hard work and there's so little results, I think some or other God has hardened us or doing something in us where uh, we're better prepared. And so we've lined up with Spain. Now, Spain is not like Africa. You don't do mission work in Spain and say, hey, this is just really great. You know, I went there for five days, and I can't tell you all the incredible things God has done. Uh, This is just awesome. Let's go back. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of our church because our church has been willing to uh, sponsor, finance, pray for, repeated trips where I've gone to Spain, where you've come with me to Spain. And honestly, the results have been not that great. You know, we and I've been, I've poured my heart out to the Lord many, many times. said, Lord, you know, I, I go with expectation and I just don't see any fruit. And it's really like frustrating. And yet at the same time, uh, you know, I come back and I'm like, I'm not going back to Spain. I just, I, God, you're going to have to like stir something up in me to make me go back, and you pray, and God would stir something up and say, "Okay, go back one more time and do this thing," and I'd go and just didn't seem like a whole lot would happen, and I'd say, "Okay, I'm not going back again." I get back here, same routine, start praying, and start. I want you to go back, and I want you to do this, and I go back and do that, and okay, it seemed to go pretty well, but not much fruit. So uh, you know, I'm. <clears throat> I'm still really, really uh, excited um, or blown away with what the Holy Spirit has done uh, in this last trip that we did to Spain, which was just uh, a couple of weeks ago. Because uh, I'm sitting in this church in Cordova, Spain, and uh, we're doing a leaders' meeting. And so the pastor says, he says, okay, before we start the meeting, let's just break up into groups of three people and let's just pray. And so uh, I'm sitting with the leader of the Vineyard Church of Central America. He, he like oversees all the Spanish-speaking Vineyard Churches. And Chris and, and I have had this discussion on more than one occasion where we've both had the same uh, level of frustration where we feel like there's been very little fruit for our efforts in Spain. Chris is highly anointed. He has planted churches all over Central uh, America, and he's been a missionary in Spain full-time, and seen nothing out of the effort in Spain. So it's not like he doesn't have the wisdom or, you know, whatever it takes. And he speaks Spanish, huh? What a a help. Uh, So we break in this little prayer meeting, and I I just put my head down to pray, and immediately uh, God gives me an image of something which is very, very, very common and ordinary in Spain, which is an orange tree, Full of blossoms and full of oranges. Uh, Blake, I have got a, a picture of this, and so, so I went and uh, after I got this, this this picture, I went and found a tree. I mean, there's just hundreds of them. The whole city is full of them. In fact, they grow them because the fragrance of the blossoms just fills the whole city, and uh, the oranges. Nobody eats the oranges in Spain. They say they send them to England where they make marmalade. He <laughs> said. So, and the Spanish said, I don't know why they would eat them. They're so bitter. You know, it's like we just just giving to the Brits. So anyway, uh, but, when, but when we're sitting in this meeting, I put my head down. I'm not thinking of anything particular. And I, and I get this image of, of a tree just like this. I just become undone. I mean, I just can't control. I'm weeping. I, I'm just because I'm feeling like the Lord is saying to me, says, Rob, you're going to see fruit. And, and the tree is really, really healthy. And I'm like, I, so when I can finally get myself together, I say, to, to say this is what I saw. And it's just like the same thing because we, we've had this discussion. We understand what this looks like. This is a very classic Spain image, right? Okay, so great. You have a great prayer time. Uh, and I'm just like, physically I'm, I'm wiped out. after. I'm just like, I'm just done. I mean, it's like, can you participate in the leaders meeting? Uh, you know, but in a really like, it's sort of a weird way. In the one way, I'm like really encouraged. On the other end, I'm like, oh, Lord, don't set me up for failure again. You know, I got my hopes up. Don't dash them. But but there's nothing I can do about it, right? I just got like a picture. Nothing I can do about it. So, uh, obviously, when uh, things go really, really well for us in in Cordova, we enjoyed the church, we enjoyed uh, the, the door that God has opened us up for us, that we're going to go back there. They want us to come back there. Uh, they want to partner with us. They want to be like a, a, a partner church with us. And I, I can see great opportunity for them and for us and and a uh, promise we'd go back. Well, I don't have time to recount our second to previous trip, but many of you came to Asuna, Spain, uh, with us. And um, we, we spent a lot of time there then. Uh, but... Suffice to say this, Uh, when you're trying to do missions work and uh, you're not making a lot of headway, and when you go down to Spain and you spend a month in Spain and many of you uh, came out there for uh, 10 days, uh, and I felt like when we went there, the Lord said, go to Spain, go to Osuna and stir it up. Now I did exactly what you're doing. God, what does stir it up mean? How do I stir it up? What does this look like? No answer. Okay, so we go to Spain, and we do what the best we can, and we we come home feeling like, okay, God did something. I don't know what he did, but anyway. So we're back now in Osuna, and and we're there. Well, I can't even tell you the story how we got there. I don't have time. But we're in Osuna, and I'm connecting with the one and only person that I know in Osuna. Blake, if you could put this other picture up with me. So down this bottom corner is the uh, English teacher at the Catholic private school. And uh, so when we were there the previous time, we ended up getting to know him. And we saw something of the Holy Spirit doing things in us and through us. And he, could, he was the guy that God used to connect the dots. He said, what you're doing is God. I, I see it. I, whereas for other people, would be like, I don't get it. So we're meeting with him uh, and saying hi with him. He's happy to see us. We're happy to see him. And while we're sitting there, we're just on the main street in uh, Osuna, uh, having ice cream with these kids, doing something very unspiritual. We're not praying. Uh, we're not meditating. We're not fasting. We're having ice cream <laughs> with my friend uh, for the one day that I've got in Osuna. And uh, as we're sitting there, this other lady walks down, who many of you that are on the missions trip would recognize. And uh, and, uh, she walks down, and as she walks down, I recognize her. And so I stand up, and she recognizes me. Now, just put this in perspective. If you went down and had an ice cream in Milford, and you'd only been there like once before, do you think you'd like recognize people in the town? Probably not. You know, it's like, So anyway, uh, I I sit down and she says to me, "Why didn't you tell me you were coming to Spain?" I said, "Because I don't have your email address. I don't have any contact information. I I don't actually know what your name is. You know, (laughs) other than that, I I don't know why I didn't tell you I wasn't coming to Spain." (laughs) She says, "Look, the Holy Spirit's been working with us." She said, I'm, I'm, "I'm trying to. I've got a group of women." And I'm trying to do this Bible study. And, uh, and, and, and like I've been teaching about the resurrection of Christ. And you know, it's a lot of hard work. I mean, there's all the cross references. And, I, and it's like, when are you going to come to this group and talk to us? I'm like, what? Of course I'd like to come to a group. Well, can you come right now? Uh, no, because I'm going to ask for dinner. It's his birthday. Are uh, you inviting me for dinner? How about next time I come back? Okay. So do you think I'm interested about going back to Spain? Oh, you bet. You bet. Okay, so I, I share this because the Holy Spirit works works in ways which are, you know, sometimes very ridiculously supernatural. Sometimes they seem so ordinary, like eating ice cream, talking to her, and she just walks over, and it's like, as she's talking, I'm like, this is a ridiculous story. I mean, you don't, I mean, how many people have invited you while you were in Hopkinson at the, you know, Starbucks, say, hey, I, won't you come and teach us the Bible? I mean, has that happened to you? I mean, it hasn't happened to me. Huh? I can tell you. Not to me. People run up to me and hop in Hopkins and say, hey, I'm like, just, I'm just, no. If you don't recognize that as a Holy Spirit, God ordained, orchestrated thing, which you didn't have any control of, I mean, you just would be spiritually dead or blind or I don't know what. So, anyway, uh, you know, uh, sharing God's stories at Pentecost, what God is doing and how the church is advancing and how God is still moving and still using people like you and like me to do ordinary but supernatural things uh, to advance the gospel and to start churches and to grow churches. And it's not just Spain. It's, it's here too. It's local. It's right here. Now, uh, a week or two weeks ago when I preached last, I was talking about uh, Acts uh, uh, in chapter 1, and it says in verse 8, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere uh, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, in chapter 8, it says this You will be my witnesses, and you will receive power. You'll receive power, you will be my witnesses. And this is the funniest thing. I'm sitting in this discussion with this lady in Osuna. And she puts down this big Bible. It's called the Jerusalem Bible. I mean, this thing's like, you know, she needs a new current version, but they don't realize that. So anyway, uh, I I don't know why, but I open the Bible up to Acts chapter eight, this verse. And I just say, you know, I think this is important to you. You should read this, whatever not. And uh, she's, doesn't hear me. She's like, she wants to yak, she wants to talk. She's like, blah 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 blah. Anyway, close it up. But somehow, or other she kind of just must have heard something because she emails me when I get back out of Boston. She says, Rob, you won't believe it. I walk into this group with these friends th- that I'm meeting with, and my f- the friends say, Hey, can we talk about Acts chapter one verse eight? And she says, Rob, I think God's up to something. <laughs> I think I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out, right? So uh, in context here, uh, Jesus has died, Jesus resurrected, Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says to them, hey, listen, guys, you need to hang out and wait for the Holy Spirit. And now Pentecost Sunday comes, as many of you know the story, it's Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And then they got a whole list of all the places they're from. And then it says, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other and others in the crowd ridiculed them saying they just drunk. That's all. So, you know, here you have this incredible outpouring of the Spirit. It's the start of the church. Uh, but there's something, there's like five things I want you to just like get out of this passage. The first thing is this all the believers were, were present. Uh, and they all received the Holy Spirit. And they all spoke in tongues. And this type of tongue is like they spoke in like another language like fluently, like a language they didn't know, okay? And the timing was absolutely perfect. It happened to be the holiday, the festival of weeks. People are in town, from all around town, all the other countries, nations around this area, and here the Spirit of God is poured out, and they hear about what Jesus has done, and that He's been crucified, and He's been resurrected, and that He's got a plan, and He's interested in these people. And the apostles, all of a sudden, filled with the Holy Spirit, have gone from being feared, sitting in their house, doors locked, nervous they're going to be arrested, to now all of a sudden, after this one solitary event, Peter, the leader, just becomes super bold, and he's just preaching to everybody. It's like, I don't care if you arrest me. I don't care if you throw stones at me. i got to tell you about Jesus. I mean, there's something fantastic uh, which is happening here. So uh, let me just pray for you uh, as we uh, go on here, before I go on too far. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence. And uh, Holy Spirit, I, I just desire that as I preach, your words would, you know, come alive, that have meaning for each person here today, that we don't just hear about you, but we encounter you. And so, Lord, I just give you permission, your Holy Spirit, to move, to sweep across us, And do whatever it is that you would want to do in the service and in your people. But just empower this time. In your name, Jesus, we welcome your Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Let me just explain what seems to be a, a, a very complicated or confusing or a mystery to many Christians, which really shouldn't be. And that's this whole idea about tongues. So there's like three different types of tongues. Uh, The first type is the type that we hear about right here, where God supernaturally gives people the ability to speak a language which they have not learned and they don't know. Now, I would love you guys to pray for me that I receive that kind of tongues for Spanish. You know, it's like so easy. I don't have to learn. I don't have to practice. I don't have to forget everything I've learned and then try it again. I mean, I just come here and you just lay hands on me and I I receive it. I I would like that. So would you. Now, let me tell you, there are people that this is happening to currently. I mean, I'm I'm hearing stories like this guy down in Brazil, like doesn't speak Portuguese at all. All of a sudden, he's like fluent. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. And I would I would like that. Uh, there's another there's another type of another type of tongues, and that's happens more often, but not that often. And that's this. It's a, it's a form of prophecy, where somebody in the congregation uh, will hear something from the Lord. They will speak it out, and it's not English. It's like some other language. I mean, we've had it happen here occasionally, not that often, but occasionally, and uh, then somebody else who actually speaks that other language, recognizes it, and says, by gosh, that's, that's French. Or if it's Adam, it's Swahili. You know, it's like, okay, it's, how did you learn Swahili? It's like perfectly clear Swahili. So Adam can stand up and say, this is what it means. Uh, God said this and this and this. And that's like super encouraging. It's like, you know, you think, how, did that, how does that work? I don't know. It's God. That does happen. It's not that frequent. Now what seems to happen, another type of tongues, the third type. So one is you get a language supernaturally. The other one is somebody is inspired at the moment by the Holy Spirit and somebody else gets an interpretation. And then the more sort of common format of tongues is what Paul, uh, Apostle Paul refers to as uh, speaking like a God language. And this is very common and it's very helpful. And it's something, as the Apostle Paul says, you should eagerly desire this. Why? Why? Because often, as we're praying for people, we don't know how to pray for them. I mean, you come up to me and you tell me, you know, my grandmother has like got a problem and my left toe is really sore and, and do something about it. And I'm like, I don't know what to do about it. But if I can pray in tongues, at least I can like, okay, God, you do something about it. It's, it's very helpful. It's very helpful. It, there's some way that we can communicate with God uh, in that way. And, and so we should eagerly, eagerly desire it and you know, if you receive, if you come up for prayer, you'll notice that people regularly, not always, but regularly pray for you uh, and they're speaking in tongues. Don't, uh, anyway, that's another topic for another day. But uh, I do want to talk about how this church just explodes and how the church grows because that's the point of Pentecost. So Peter stands up and he preaches this long sermon. Uh, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And if you think I go on, it goes on and on and on and on. And it's like, uh, anyway, and then at the end of it, uh, this is what happens. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, uh, verse 36, it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now that's very non-seeker sensitive material. It's like, hey, let me tell you how awesome Jesus, the, the Jesus that you crucified. Now, you know, if you're trying to win people over and you're trying to be nice, it's not like nice to be, point your finger at somebody and say that. But uh, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said, were baptized and added to the church that day, and there was about 3,000 in all. You know, so there was like tremendous fruit. It was like a lot of results. Uh, You know, there was this big transformation, and that just like continued happening, and it's continuing to happen today, and people today are still being encouraged and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being sent out, and it's not just like Spain. You know, God is interested in Hopkinton, and Milford. And for us, that's the main and the plain. That's the area that we're most interested in, the most focused in. That's where God has put us as a church. And it's not just like a town. You know, towns consist of real people and real people that really need to know the love of God. And it's not like people need to get straightened out and sorted out and make, you know, become Christians first and then come to church. It's like we have to deal with people with their current thinking, with their current beliefs and their current habits and their current sexuality and their current spending and their current everything and explain how God really loves them. I mean, that's the the good news. God doesn't say, let me give you bad news. Uh, Let me tell you all the rules and regulations you need to uh, listen to and adhere to. No, God says, let me give you the good news. The good news is that God loves you and he's got a plan for you, and he's got a lifestyle for you that will be uplifting and wholesome and beneficial to you. I mean, that's the good news. And anyway, so that's why we have the, the least favorite thing uh, that we do here in church, and that's eat cake, because you see, you eat cake, and you guys all go out in the lobby, because uh, we're celebrating the church's birthday, and uh, so, you know, I know everybody loves cake except me, because I'm watching the cake, and watching your kids, and I'm watching how we like pack in the lobby, and, and then all the cake is all over the floor, and then you trample on the carpet, and I'm thinking, who's going to clean that up, and it's going to sting, it's going to be a mess, but this time, I'm very happy to tell you, we're going to put a new carpet in, so you can enjoy your cake, and I'll enjoy it <laughs> while you enjoy enjoy your cake and then in like a few weeks time you know when you don't see any cake around it's like because we have got a new carpet anyway i'll get over the new carpet thing you know we won't worship our carpet the carpet really is supposed to be um to be used all right so the holy spirit uh, the point of the holy spirit coming is to empower us for three things and uh, i i do think that uh many of you are desirous uh, in receiving the power of the Holy Spirit uh, for one of these three things. The first one is boldness. There's a sense of uh, the Holy Spirit, just like with the Apostle Peter, uh, the Spirit comes in boldness. He gives Peter the ability to say, I don't care if I go to jail. I need to speak up for God. But it's not just, you know, there's a sense of grace and truth there's a sense where you and I both need boldness, but also the sensitivity. Like how do we talk to our friends about Jesus effectively, you know, without like just like being brash or just turning them off? I mean, how do you talk to people in a way that's loving and winsome, but also truthful? We need boldness. We, we need a, a sense of Okay, God, I, I get it. Show me the opportunity. Give me the right timing. Show me the right thing to say. And when it's the right time and God gives you the right thing to say, you need the boldness to actually say it. I mean, th- there comes the opportunity where you have to actually speak it and tell them about Jesus. We need that. So, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, there's many, many scriptures here, but in Acts 4, uh, 8 and 9, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he's speaking to the rulers and the and the people that were oppressors. And uh, he's got this boldness because he can speak to the religious leaders who don't like what he's saying and tell them the way it is. God gave him that ability. The other part, which is signs and wonders. Uh, And, you know, it's a good thing. Let me just say this again. It's a good thing to pray and to ask God to use you to do signs and wonders, to do things that are impossible, to be able to pray for people and see them healed, to ask people that are feeling oppressed to be prayed for and to have that oppression leave, to people that are battling with nightmares and bad dreams or whatever other form of oppression, to actually pray and see that change. I mean, it's a good thing to be asking God for power to do these things, these supernatural things. But let me tell you, it comes right in the hand of boldness. Because a miracle is a miracle. And when you look at somebody that's like, you know, got a bad leg or a bad knee, it takes something simple to understand. And you say, okay, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray that right now God's going to heal that thing and you're going to walk. That takes like boldness because you know that the probability is that they're not going to walk and that God's not going to heal it. And yet you've got to have that supernatural ability to say, God is going to heal it and you are going to walk and when you get linked up with God in the correct way they do get healed and they do walk uh, you know it's a sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is doing and when that happens you're like praise the lord this is the most exciting thing i wish i could do this all day long every day this is fun you know and for the recipient they're like thank you so much and you know we get Many, many, many stories here. I mean, if I asked for stories, many of you could say, well, let's just show of hands. How many of you have been prayed for, for some physical healing where God has healed you? I, I, I mean, look, at it's just like overwhelming number of people. You know, so any one of them could have a story. We love being healed. We love physical. You get it. Pray for signs and wonders. Pray that God will do it. But this one is not that obvious. Social justice. What about praying for the Holy Spirit for social justice. Now, let me just read this uh, text here, and I want to finish out by telling you a story. Uh, social justice, five, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 27, 29. Peter is uh, dealing with a lot of uh, oppression by the rulers, and uh, he's got a decision to make, and this is a problem you and I will face where uh, the law of the land will say one thing, and God is saying something different. And you have to decide to obey the law, which the Bible tells us to do, or do I obey God and be in defiance of the law? It's a horrible position to be in, but when you're in that position, uh, hopefully you'll choose to obey God, uh, even at the risk of whatever the consequences are. So here we are, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, and Peter and the the apostles applied replied to the uh, the leaders we must obey god rather than any human authority the god of our ancestors raised jesus from the dead and you killed him by hanging him on the cross then god put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior he did this so that the people of israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey Him. Uh, You know, there's a sense of saying, "Look, we need to do the right thing." There needs to be a sense of 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 social justice, even if that means disobeying the law and uh, doing what's right. Now, you may or may not know, uh, according to the New York Times, uh, I was reading this article: the Treasury Secretary Jacob. Jay Liu, announced that they are going to be replacing uh, the figures on our currency. So the $20 bill, which now has Jackson's face on it, they're going to be replacing it, and they're going to be... Well, let me just read it to you. Uh, They're going to replace and put the slave-holding Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill with Harriet Tubman. And the reason is because she is a former slave and abolitionist. Uh, And then carry on in this article. But the broader remaking of the nation's paper currency, which President Obama welcomed on Wednesday, may well have uh, captured a historical moment for a multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multiracial nation, moving contentiously through the early years of a new century. Tubman, an African-American and a Union spy during the, second, uh, during the Civil War would bump Jackson, a white man known as much for his persecution of Native Americans as for his war heroics. Okay, so you get the drift. Okay, let's uh, look at the currency. It's all men. It's all white guys. Uh, the country's multi-ethnic. Let's change it up, and let's stick uh, Harriet Tubman on there. Now, I've got good news for you. This is a great choice. Harriet Tubman was a woman... On a mission for God. I mean, there's just like a great God story uh, behind this woman. So she was a slave. She was born as a slave. And uh, as a slave, she witnessed some of the the atrocities of slavery. Uh, One of which was uh, people being beaten. Uh, Another one was her sisters being sold off into slavery, and she never saw them again. And then uh, she heard that her brother was going to be sold off into slavery. And her mother, all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, I mean, after all this injustice, she rises up and she says, okay, when that guy, that white guy, walks in to come and get my son, I'm going to split his head open with an axe. So come on in and get my son. And the white guy didn't go in and didn't get his son. And Harriet said, wow, there's something to this resisting. I mean, it's it's risky business, but, you know, we need to do what's right. So anyway, uh, Harriet's, best known uh, for her ability to follow the Lord and to hear the Lord. And uh, so some of those have written autobiography about her. And this is not in the Wall Street Journal, obviously, uh, or the uh, New York Times. This is from a different source, uh, giving you the spiritual background. Uh, so uh, what she ended up doing, uh, well, let me just read it to you. Uh, so 26 years old, she escapes from Maryland and she manages just with absolutely nothing through the dark of night, following the railroad tracks to escape into Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, where she finds freedom. But when she's in Pennsylvania and she finds freedom, she says, wait a bit. I need to go and help all those other people that are slaves and rescue them. So she becomes, and she gets a reputation of being like Moses. And they said, hey, that's the Moses. And uh, so she was rescuing her people. And she ended up rescuing hundreds of people by going back and smuggling slaves and rescuing slaves and bringing them back into freedom. And so uh, that's what she did. Uh, but here's the part that, that, that I like. It says here, um, well, anyway, here's he, he somebody writing a, a story about it. It says, I've never met any person of any color who had more confidence in the voice of God as spoken direct to her soul. Okay, so she's hearing the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is moving her, but in a very ordinary kind of a way. There's no speaking in tongues. There's no supernatural things. There's no, like, miraculous healing. It's a conviction in her soul that there's an injustice, and by the power of God, I need to do something to solve this injustice. And that's what motivates her. And then uh, here's a quote from her. Uh, She gave all credit to God, explaining. Now, I've got to read this slowly because my accent's not too good yet. Twant me, which I think wasn't me... Your your linguistics guys can get this. T'want me, t'was the Lord. I always told him, I trust to you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me, and he always did. Okay, now there's a conviction by the Holy Spirit to say, I can trust the Lord. I don't know what it's going to look like. And she never lost a single slave. She never lost a single person. Uh, she, She rescued hundreds of people. So I I am saying this, you know, God has something in it for us, for all of us. Uh, And let me just close with this one, the worship team um, coming up, and I want to pray for the missions team as we go here. One of the things the Holy Spirit does for each and every one of us is to encourage us. That's part of His name. It's the paraclete. It's part of who His title is as an advocate. Now, after worship, I want to pray for us for receiving the Holy Spirit. But right now, we have a missions team that is going to go down to the Dominican Republic, and I want to pray for them. So uh, if the missions team that's going down the DR, if you hear, if you'll come down quickly, let's just extend a hand and pray for them for a number of reasons. One, uh, that their trip would go well. They're going to be meeting particularly with leaders, uh, leaders of the Vineyard Church down there, encouraging them and, and supporting them. And then also, they're walking into a very difficult situation. Because Hilda, one of the leaders in the, uh, the group, her brother just died. And so now you're walking into a mission strip where uh, a very close uh, friend, and many of us uh, knew Hilda's <coughs> brother. Uh, and so, you know, you, you're dealing with, okay, how do we bring life? How do we encourage? And how do we do what God's going to have us do? So let's just pray for them quick. Yeah, Debbie? Debbie Allen is not here. She's working, and she's always coming. And Bernadette's very nervous. She's going to lose anointing. so. Children's Hospital, <laughs> Lord Jesus, we just uh, we just pray for these people, Lord. We just uh, we just do what you say. We just lay hands on them, Lord. We just extend our hand of blessing. We just pray, Lord, for Your Holy Spirit to pour out of the out onto them, to fill them, to empower them, and to equip them. And Lord, for this mission, and Lord, we just pray that uh, whether they experience Your power and Your anointing right now or not, Lord, that they would be effective and used by you and your Holy Spirit to do the things that you've called them to do. So, Lord, we just send them out. We just pray your blessing on them. And we pray for, uh, you know, hearing what it is that you're going to do through them. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Bless you guys. Thanks for praying. Why don't you stand? Let's uh, worship. If you can stand, stand.